Welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings and experiences of COVID, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham and I co-host this not-for-profit podcast with my friend Sylvia. If you would like to share your story with us or just have a chat, please get in touch. You can email us at coronastories at protonmail.com and we also have a telegram channel called Corona Stories. Please join us there friends and thank you for listening. In this episode I speak once again to the rustler who prefers to be known as Russell. We were inspired to have another conversation by the absolutely alarming number of excess deaths continuing in Scotland week on week, but as usual, we kind of veered off topic. I hope that you find this conversation thought-provoking. I hope that maybe you will share this conversation with some friends who might be ready to hear our side who haven't been previously. There is an awakening happening. And it is down to the tireless work of some true warriors for the truth, including Russell. And I remain really grateful to him for all of his support and hard work during the last two and a half years. He is a true hero. Today is the 23rd of August 2022 and I'm speaking to the rustler again hi hi Chris. hi christine i like calling you the rustler yeah i don't know it sounds it a bit makes you feel mysterious <laughs> like you're outside the law yeah i am the law <laughs> yeah i'm back um, to being the, i'm back to being the rustler on twitter as well because freedom podcast is no more it was um obliterated oh which is fine. I, I think I need to, I need to take a step back from Twitter anyway. Yeah. I, I know I know you're no longer on Twitter, Christine, but there's been a, a lot of the a lot of the bigger accounts have been getting suspended mm. the last few weeks as well. So it looks like they're having a clear up. And um, Doctor Claire, is it Claire? Mm-hmm. She got she got nuked um, yesterday, I think. Yep, I saw that. Mm. Occasionally, I think that things are getting better, but then I see that they're not. It's just getting worse, actually. Yeah, I think I think there's a risk as well that the, the more we look into stuff, the darker everything becomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took we went on holiday for a couple of weeks, and I took a complete break for all social media like deleted all the apps and stuff like that and it was it was wonderful <laughs> and it was just just but just back to living a, a a normal life and just focusing on what was in front of me mm-hmm. uh, so getting getting deplatformed wasn't necessarily a bad thing because it's, it's put my focus back into things in life that should be the most important and mm-hmm. if i'm being honest i think my, my work's probably struggled a wee bit in the last while so yeah, I'm no longer spending as much time looking into stuff. 
yeah. as I was. But I've noticed a lot of people saying things like that, and I just think that um, 2020 was such a... The corona era has been such an awakening for so many of us. Like, I spent a huge amount of time on it, and I haven't been recently. The reason that I spent such a huge amount of time on it was because I just had so much to learn. Like, my view of the world has completely changed in every sense since 2020. I now realise, looking back, that I didn't understand anything about anything. So the amount of time that I spent on the COVID stuff was a reflection of that, like how much I had to learn. There comes a point, though, where like, you realise how evil so many of our structures and institutions are like profoundly evil and yeah then, that, and that's that's one of the things like the whole cognitive dissonance thing even for, even for me christine like i'm almost at a point now where i'm like i don't i don't want to see anymore like i've, yeah, I've seen it, you, i've seen it enough because you've worked you've learned you understand it now like you yeah. have a deep understanding of it so you almost don't need to know anymore yeah i mean I, before before 2020 you've you, you, you put faith in the institutions and, you know, we all thought politicians were sleazy and stuff, but you, I probably thought they still had the best interests of the country at heart. You know, I've lost a lot of faith in the NHS as well. Mm. And, you know, if if the big theories are correct about who's really running the world, then, you know, it is a, it is a dark place. But I think oh. at the same time as well, we still need to hold people to account for what went, what went wrong. Oh, yeah. And, we can't just it can't just be a warrior attrition where people like myself just say, "Oh, fuck this! I've that's three years now. I'm just going back to mm-hmm. you know, give me the blue pill. I don't want to know anymore." Mm. Well, I, I mean, like I'm, you can't go back to normal because you realise how wrong normal was. Yeah, I, mean, I think like, a big thing that I learned, a, a, the thing that really shocked me in 2020 was the censorship because I'd never I'd never experienced that before really of having completely unacceptable opinions and that's the thing that's something that I in in the olden days I would always have said well of course we should have freedom of speech and I actually was always against censorship just in principle yeah. You know, I had a quite a theoretical view of it and I under, I thought I had good arguments about why everybody should be allowed to speak, no matter how offensive what they're saying was. But now I actually have had experience of it. And like what will happen to you if you say things which the world considers unacceptable and yet are right. And this is what before we started recording, we were talking about that. In the last week or so, things that I was saying in 2020 and people were calling me a murderer for saying are now mainstream view. Yep. Maybe lockdown wasn't such a good idea and it's killing lots of people. You know, that's what I said. I said in 2020, this lockdown, you can see from the figures, isn't saving anybody and it's causing massive amounts of pain. And that was an unacceptable thing to say. But what if I hadn't said it? What if nobody had said that? Would the newspapers now be reporting that we've got excess deaths because of lockdown? I don't know. Do you think they would be reporting that anyway? I mean, I think they're only reporting it because, well, one of two reasons, but because there's, there's 
it's out there and there's public pressure and people are talking about it, so they feel they have to cover it. Um, I also, I mean, I, I got a 28-day ban on Facebook or 30-day yeah. ban, whatever it was, for saying that the vaccines didn't prevent infection. Yeah. And I think it was early, early 21. And now, and then Boris Johnson comes out on TV and said it. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is how people are getting cancelled by saying stuff ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. And then there's no, like, I'm not wanting an apology, but it's yeah. your record's effectively tarnished. So, like, when I did get deleted for Twitter, it was because of numerous breaches. But if you went back and looked at those breaches now, they're probably everything that I was saying, because I was reporting, you know, government data. It's all been backed up now. What I was saying was was correct. The uh, the controlled speech as well. I mean, I think you might have spoken with Jordan Peterson before, mm -hmm. but I used to listen to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts, especially when I was driving up and down to Aberdeen. But mm -hmm. the I like I always liked Peterson, but he was he was first speaking out about the pronouns, I think, and he became famous because he refused to use what he was saying was controlled speech. Yeah, and he says if if you start controlling it by saying what I can and can he say, then mm. where does it where does it end up? And one of the points he made was that people will become so afraid to speak out about about atrocities that at some point the, the gates will be left unguarded and a whole yeah whole evil will just come through the gates and nobody would put their hand up to say mm -hmm. what's going on here. Mm -hmm. and, that, and and that and that was I don't know maybe five or six years ago I heard them talk about that. And it's, it's, you know, and you're seeing it now. And you see it with comedians. Yep. You know, comedians used to always walk a, a fine line and they would say stuff that nobody else would say or it wasn't socially acceptable to say. And that's what was funny. But, but comedians now aren't doing that. There was probably no. people cancelled for the fringe in Edinburgh there or weren't allowed to go because of tweets that they'd put out. Um, yeah, controlled speech is a big issue. Jerry Sadowitz, um was cancelled from the Pleasance um, at the Edinburgh Fringe just, was it last week? Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. And uh, I've, I actually, I'm a bit of a Jerry Sadowitz fan. And uh, I've been to three of his shows. I find him quite a puzzling character because to be... I'm just, I've never, I always go to his shows and I come out thinking, I'm not sure, you know, whether I was supposed to like that or not. Yeah. But the thing that I think is so powerful about him, and again, I went to see him when I was woke and uh, not awake in um, <clears throat> pre-2020. And I remember thinking, it is so important that people are allowed to say the vile things that he says. Yeah to be reactionary, I assume. And, you know, it, it's like, it's incredible. Well, it, it, pre-2020, it was incredible. It would be even more incredible to hear it now. But it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe those words just came out of somebody's mouth. But then I remember thinking, when I was very uncomfortable with it, the last show that I was at of his, but they're just words. Yeah. And... I think maybe I was sort of half noticing in myself that I was believing that words, you know, that I was putting more like importance on words than they actually have. And they're, in some ways they're not, it doesn't matter what somebody says. And in another sense, it, it's all that matters. Do you know what I mean? Not but, you know, yep. You know, I didn't become racist by listening to Jerry Sadowitz's racist jokes. 
but it's so important that people are allowed to speak so that they can that we can recognize that that speech is extreme and offensive because otherwise people think that a you know blonde housewife in 2020 saying I used to be a physicist and I like numbers and I've looked at these numbers and they don't really make sense and people call me a murderer because they find that offensive <laughs> yeah it's like no. I don't there know was, if I'm explaining myself very no, clearly. No, no, totally, totally, Christina. I think mm. uh, Frankie Boyle similar as well. People people can't put up with what Frankie says, but it shocks you and it makes you look inward and outward as well. But yeah. I, remember, I remember there was something people were saying, oh, first of all, they came for this group of society and I wasn't mm -hmm. in that group of society, mm -hmm. so I didn't mm -hmm. mind. And then they came for these guys and then came for these guys and then finally they came for me. And at the time they came for me, there was nobody left to defend me. Yeah. So that's how it was important to say, like, we should be defending freedom of speech, even if you don't agree with what they're saying. And even if you think Jerry Sadowich or Frankie Boyle or however are saying stuff that you don't agree with and you don't particularly like. And you I think don't like well, Frankie Boyle. No. Some of his, I mean, some of his stuff's funny, but... You, no, but the point is, I don't like him. I don't like what he says. I mean, I wouldn't go to a Frankie Boyle show, but I will go to a Jerry Sadowich show. Yeah. But I, I would never try and stop Frankie Boyle speaking. No. <laughs> I just I just think this freedom of speech thing is so much more important to me now than it used to be because I've lived it I've had the experience of people like listening like putting their own interpretation on what I'm saying without referring to the rest of the context of my character you know, like assuming that I must be saying that I don't care if people die of COVID when I yeah. said that lockdown was wrong. It's like, but you people who know me, my family and my friends, you know that I care that people are dying of COVID. Of course I do. Yep. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a very clever game they played to, to uh, vilify you for speaking out. Yeah. And it did, and it did make people, you know, hold, hold their thoughts. And again, that's another thing about the, the lockdowns and closing the, and I spoke about this all day, but closing the pubs, especially, it stopped mm -hmm. you meeting up with people. Now, somebody said social media is in, in place, so people could still say what they wanted to say in social media, but people won't say, like, no. there's things I'll say in the pub that I wouldn't say in social media because the social media record lasts forever and I'm putting it on paper effectively. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'll make throwaway comments in the pub that I wouldn't say on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. So also, you deny people, people the chance to speak. Yeah. yeah. And that's also why churches were closed long yeah. after nightclubs and restaurants and things. Because, again, people in church talk. And also, people in church are talking about a higher authority than the government. Yeah. And that's very threatening to the government. And it's no accident that, you know, football matches and pubs and churches weren't allowed to restart. I mean, I know football matches, they did start, didn't they? But behind closed doors. Um, because people congregating is a real risk to a tyrannical government. And that's Absolutely. what we lived under. We are still living under it, you could argue. But in 2020, when it was extreme, in 2021. Yeah, especially, especially because one thing I was, one thing I wanted the football back for more than anything was the crowds would be back in and there could be chants. So like there was a, there was Aberdeen fans singing, you can stick your fucking vaccine up your arse. Uh -huh. a game and uh, and I thought that's brilliant but it was just like mm -hmm. a pocket of like the young team guys singing it mm -hmm. 
So and football was back at this point, but but then but for football to get back, people had to take the vaccine to get to the football originally. Mm-hmm. So they took away, and again, it might be this might be sexist, but they took away everything. They took away everything that would be associated with laddish behaviour in men. So we we couldn't go to football. We couldn't go to the mm-hmm. pub. The gym mm-hmm. was shut. We couldn't play football. Obviously, mm-hmm. women are playing football, obviously, but so they took all that away from us. And then the only way you'd get it back was if you took the vaccine, because all those things. Then when they started opening up, it was vaccine passport based. You can get your masculine, uh, laddish toxic masculine yeah. laddish behavior back as long as you submit in an incredibly unmasculine way to a needle and i mean this is the whole that's a whole other rabbit hole but i mean men are being deliberately emasculated aren't they in our yeah, society absolutely. now women and now women are being defeminized so I think we call this podcast uh, "Freedom of Speech and Excess in Death." Yeah, <laughs> the thing that um, freedom is freedom to speak about excess deaths. Freedom to speak about excess death, please, Nicola. Maybe, please, because the situation in Scotland. I stopped tracking excess deaths at the end of twenty twenty one. Basically, in twenty twenty one, we didn't go below an excess deaths at any point did we we didn't have any deficit in deaths at all apart from i think there was like three weeks in june or something where we went below excess yeah i mean i I, I think there was 30 weeks 30 consecutive weeks christine where there was excess deaths in 2021 yeah and that started and and it started in like this like like the spring summer time yeah and basically that situation has just continued right through to the summer of 2022 hasn't it Yes, so I think if you look at the twenty-two data, and I know you've you've stopped reporting it, but mm-hmm. um, and I don't as much, but Scottish Unity do good stuff on it, and I, mm-hmm. and I just mm-hmm. I, I just lazily steal their graphs rather than create my own these days. But mm-hmm. what we started seeing was in early twenty twenty-two, deaths were normal or slightly below average until you got mm-hmm. to week week ten, and then they started going back into excess. Mm-hmm. Now there was somebody done a report linking excess deaths coming 10 to 12 weeks after a vaccine rollout okay when, when you when you look back at the dose one dose two and then dose three mm-hmm. so that that correlated well so once we started coming into spring in scotland we started seeing excess deaths jumping back up to about plus 10 percent right. what we've seen what we've seen for the last 12 weeks over summer is excess deaths in scotland are at 15 percent above average mm-hmm. So this represents approximately there's about a thousand deaths a week on average, and that's yes. the five year average in Scotland. Is that the five year average before 2020? Yes, but I mean it's, it's yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, because we've we've eliminated 2020 and 2021 and 2022, so that the average isn't artificially raised. Yeah. Because we've had high death years, but so. So about a thousand deaths a week on average was the five year average before 2020. And so 15% means an extra 150 people a week. Yep. Like 15%. And this is week in, week out. Since the 10th week of 2022, we've had over 10% excess. So that's over a hundred people a week. Yeah. So, I mean, we're at, we're at like something close to 2000 excess deaths since spring this year yeah. and 
even though they're still allocating deaths to COVID, those that are allocated to COVID are only making up a, a, around about a third of that. So the other causes of death are all up as well. And so this vaccine or gene therapy, as the vaccine manufacturers themselves call it in their documentation, gene therapy, isn't working out too well because it's neither stopping COVID deaths nor improving people's general health, is it? No, and that's no. that's just, no. I mean, I think no. every me every measure you want to look at, Christine. So we've got more COVID deaths this summer than last summer and summer twenty twenty. Um, we've got which more, is weird. Got, which is really weird. <laughs> After a pandemic, when you vaccinated almost yeah. everybody to some extent. Now, I I obviously think I obviously think that's all. A lot of that's misattribution anyway, if not all of it. Ooh. But what you've also got with that then is. Other causes of deaths um, are also up. So whereas mm -hmm. in tw whereas in 2020, when we spoke about this, especially when you're into Christmas 2021, you've seen all these COVID deaths, but every other cause of death came right down. Uh -huh. So the, the country wasn't really in much of an excess, even though we were reporting thousands of COVID deaths, yeah. you were now getting negative deaths to especially Alzheimer's yeah. and heart disease and cancers were down. No. So like I said, COVID deaths are up. All mm -hmm. cause deaths are up, uh -huh. and so, and it's in and it's in summer. And yeah. last and last year in twenty twenty one we had a terrible, it was a terrible excess deaths, and we are sitting above that in twenty twenty two at the moment. So when you were do, when you were doing the data runs in twenty twenty one, I think there was one month or one week, sorry, where we had thirty percent excess deaths, mm -hmm. which represented an extra three hundred people dying who wouldn't normally have died. Mm -hmm. And that that interestingly came just a few weeks after the booster rollout in September. Yeah. So I think it was like week 40 or something like that with the crazy number of deaths. That was one of the first things we spoke about when we did the first podcast. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, and then we obviously vaccinated everybody with the boosters in December and January mm -hmm. to real high numbers. That's when the, the, the major pocket, like the under 50 started getting in. Nicola was saying get boosted by the bells and Boris was wanting it all done by the end of January because they were going out of date. <laughs> and then what we've then what we've seen is three months after that excess deaths start creeping right back up again, and they're not just going up in the over sixties or over eighties. They're across all age groups, and I think the Scott the English data was showing that deaths in teenagers were up by something like twelve percent. Absolutely, and that's a horrific, you know, flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a real marker that something's not right. And isn't it amazing that all those people who called us murderers for mentioning lockdown they're awfully quiet about these excess teenager deaths yeah i mean that's I mean, a real elephant in the room that nobody can i mean told, if one person dies of covid it's one person too many that we heard before wave one well if one teenager dies when teenagers weren't dying of covid if one teenager dies too many of some bizarre unknown cause which is what basically people are claiming these excess deaths are then that's too many isn't it would we not want to investigate absolutely Why? i mean i think the the uh there was there's, there's still no healthy death there's still nobody in scotland under age 20 died of covid without there being a, a pre-existing comorbidity mm -hmm. present or a known one mm -hmm. so if no healthy children or healthy under 20s, whatever we're going to call it, are dying with COVID, you're now giving them a vaccine that's putting them at risk. 
and the new Moderna spike backs. I mean, you can't make you can't make up that they called it spike backs. I thought but, you were joking when you were calling it. I, I thought you had called it spike backs. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I was actually, to be honest, I should have had more faith in you. I was thinking, I don't think he should call it spike backs because I think <laughs> that's a little bit that's just like yeah, poking yeah. people. I, I don't really yeah. like that, that he's calling it that. And then I realized that the vaccine's actually called spike backs. It's like, right, so actually they're trolling us. It's not Rustler that's trolling us. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when you look at the approval documents on the government website for that spike backs, it, uh -huh. actually, it says in there that there's a, from the study group, there was a one in 3,500 chance of teenagers or teenagers or males aged 16 to 24, I think it might have been, basically teenagers getting myocarditis or pericarditis. So, One in three and a half thousand. Yeah, and that's in their own data. So oh my God. I, I, I remember, I remember, I went to my the, the first vaccine appointment, and the the vaccinator. I obviously didn't get vaccinated, but mm -hmm. the vaccinator said to me, "There's there's only a there's only a four in a million chance of you getting a blood clot, a blood clot." Aye, well. Which I thought was odd that she said that rather than one in two hundred fifty thousand. I can quickly do that some, but mm -hmm. to put it in context like that, there's there's. 285 and a million people, kids, would get myocarditis if they took this vaccine. So if there's a million, if there's a million kids in Scotland, 285 of them could get heart inflammation from it. Absolutely. Just, just, based, just based on their own numbers. Now, yeah. the, the study and you know that they eliminate people, when people get unwell on their trials, they eliminate them from the trials. Yeah. This is what we've, so, they've, yeah. Anyway, and that's, so, so the one in three and a half thousand is in the government's own data. The the study that came out for Thailand, which you've probably seen, mm -hmm. it was it was even worse than that. It was you know it was one in hundreds. It was it was. It was one, I thought it was one in four hundred. Yeah, well, whatever it is, I mean, it's that's it's, it's, it's terrifying. And one of, one of the things I'd heard about the myocarditis as well, because I'm not again, I'm not a doctor, but they were saying it would go undetected, and it would only show itself when you had a raised heart rate. So. You know, you're seeing like athletes and people that are training mm -hmm. or guys in the gym collapsing or even going to the football. So maybe just if you're going about your day to day, you wouldn't notice it. But once you start getting elevated heart rates, I think you then became more at risk to getting a, an adverse mm -hmm. um, response for your heart. So I don't know. I mean, when all, when all the people were collapsing at the football a while back, you know, it kind of got normalised. All that always happens. You know, I've been going to football for well, probably 30 years now. And mm -hmm. I don't remember, I don't remember, I seen a guy collapse outside Pataudry one day after the game, an old guy, there was, there was a bit of a small riot happening, he, that guy actually died, but I'd never seen it in the stadium. No. And then all of a sudden, it was every every weekend it was happening. I know. And a guy just died um, last weekend there at the St. Johnson Aberdeen match. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I... Well, we, I don't think we're going to get into that now, but I'm not sure that we can necessarily attribute all of that to the vaccine. And I actually am a wee bit uncomfortable about, you know, the tendency of some people to do that publicly, because I think it yeah. is very possible that there's some other cause. Um, yeah, and, and, that, and that guy, sadly, um, he was in his 70s as well, I think. I think he was 72. But again, 72 isn't that old i mean no. that's significantly below life expectancy i mean who know, we don't know what 
you know, that guy's health status was like and things. But the point is that there's an awful lot of people dropping dead and it's being reported in the media. And it's extremely unusual for young people just to drop dead. And yet it's happening a lot. And I think there's only... I personally think that the dam will burst and that it's leaking quite badly now. But people are becoming much more confident about questioning vaccine safety and just the safety of our institutions generally. Because, I mean, there's a lot of really alarming uh, stories coming out of hospitals now about the care that people are getting in the hospitals. I personally, my family, have had some pretty awful experiences with the NHS in the last few months. Um, it's just, you know, there, there's an awful lot going on and people are dying as a result of failures in our systems. Yeah, I mean, and, and I need to be careful not to be, I'm probably guilty of pointing the finger at where I think the cause of these deaths are. And mm-hmm. and in reality, is it'll, it'll be, a, it'll be a, a combination of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But there was the, the, the Scottish Government COVID Recovery Committee, whatever they're called, wrote wrote to wrote to the health secretary in terms of Yusuf, and asked why we were seeing excess deaths. Now that's positive that they did that. He wrote a letter back saying what he thought was causing the excess deaths, and there was no mention at all that the COVID vaccines might be contributing to that. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's like it's the proper elephant in the room. Do not mention it. Absolutely insane when that is an intervention. Even if you're the most pro-vaccine person on the planet, this intervention was rolled out into a huge number of people in our population. And now a huge number of people in our population are dying. Now, if, you know, to me, you would think, I would have thought pre-2020 that no stone would have been left unturned in identifying the cause of the rise in deaths like this. It's so abnormal. Normally, after a pandemic, when all the vulnerable people have been taken out of the population, you should have a deficit in deaths. And we just have not had that since the first wave of COVID. That doesn't make any sense. There is something. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's in the air, if it's in the water, if it's the vaccines, if it's the tests. There's been some suggestion that sodium azide has been discovered on the LLFT and PCR tests, which is a substance which is under like the terrorist watch, because it's so toxic. There was a thing that came out recently about hand sanitizers. 92% of hand sanitizers in the in circulation in the UK are toxic and carcinogenic. I mean, it could be any of these things. It could be something in our food. It, I don't know, but you would think that they would be investigating it vigorously. I would have thought it's a police matter, actually. Well, it should become a criminal inquiry. I mean, the, the, there's going to be a public inquiry into the COVID deaths, but that should be followed very quickly by a criminal inquiry as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and it's it's already been accepted that Nicola Sturgeon and the Scottish Government were unlawful in discharging people from hospitals into care homes. But how? But if, the, if the system is corrupt, then we're now expecting the system to charge people no, in the system. I or expect- maybe we're not expecting it, but you know, like we can't we can't look to the authorities or the institute, the pillars, the institutions that, no. that are corrupt to expose mm-hmm. the other institutions mm-hmm. that are corrupt because mm-hmm. they they eventually just be eating their own tail. So they'll, well, all, they'll they'll all protect each other. Every 
everybody's invested. All the all the authorities are invested in what's happened, and that's mm-hmm. that's why I think they can't mention the the vaccine in in the in Humza's letter, because as soon as he as soon as he admits that, or even suggests it might be that, then that just opens up the doors, and they won't do it. And to be fair, his letter spoke about lockdowns causing it. He also he also said that it might be undiagnosed COVID. You know, like. Like we didn't test everybody to the death to find out who had it, or didn't they? You know the not the amount of time that, according to the ONS, you know they said like oh, one in twenty people are infected with COVID right now, and one in eighteen people are infected. We've been going on like this for years now. It's like how many times? If one in twenty of your population has a virus, like one week, and then one in twenty-five have it the next week and then one in 18 have it the next week you can only go on like that basically for 20 weeks before everybody's had it it. and the question is how many times can one person get covid and stop i mean this reinfection business is absolute immunological nonsense it doesn't make any sense unless there's something significantly wrong with your immune system it should be able to recognize a virus that it's seen before now i'm starting I've been saying this for some time. I don't really believe that COVID, the disease, is caused by one virus because I just don't think that it doesn't make any virological sense. It's completely meaningless and it doesn't behave like a virus. So maybe it's not a virus. I mean, according to the virus models, which is a whole other um rabbit hole. But the whole thing is so absurd. We're still dying of COVID three years after it arrived. Give me a break. Come on. I mean... <laughs> yeah, the, the entire population would have had it by now, and even if they try to trick us into thinking these variants, I mean, the, the variants are apparently, you know, ninety nine percent similar to the previous variant that went before it. So your your body, if your if the if the virus was real and you'd had it, your your body would like your body would deal with it in the same way. I'm sure they've done a test on SARS versus COVID or SARS CoV two, and people who'd had SARS had immunity yeah. to, to COVID. Yeah. That's, that's assuming that even COVID's real, but I mean, my 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 views on COVID is that it's just a collection of other illnesses and viruses yeah, that, that, you, that, you, that, that you test positive for by a flawed test. I also mm-hmm. then think, that was 2020, I also think the reason that the case numbers and deaths went up in 2021, 22 was because of the presence of the vaccine. And I yeah. think that's, people, that's caused people to test positive. At, at best, yeah. it's caused them to test positive, whether it's made them sick or not. And then if anybody's died after that, it's a, it was a perfect camouflage to lay down. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's very interesting that Delta, for example, emerged after the vaccine was rolled out and started to affect younger people. So, I mean, yeah. that was when COVID arrived in our house and it hit one of our family members really, really, really badly. Um, you know, why? Why? We'd been living with COVID for over like a year and a half by that time. So why would it be that a young, fit and healthy person who never gets sick normally gets hit like a sledgehammer by COVID? It doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. And this whole, you know, the virus has evolved to become more virulent and more severe. I don't buy that. I really, really don't. I, Unless lockdown and the vaccine put these evolutionary pressures, which was the theory that I'd... I've heard before, but I still don't accept that it could evolve to become so much more dangerous for young people. Young people in 2020 were not getting sick with COVID, not um, 
in early 2020 in big numbers. So, you know, and now I'm still hearing about people, oh, so-and-so had COVID last week and oh gosh, really hit him hard. You're like, how? (laughs) (laughs) We're three years on and... And people have had five vaccines. I mean... I, mean, I remember reading ages ago, I'm much more sceptical about a lot of pandemics and epidemics and things, but I remember reading that people, like in my parents' generation, who got exposed to, was it Hong Kong flu in 19... No, that, no, sorry. Um, 1957, there was a really right. bad flu epidemic and there was a huge number of people died of flu in the January of that year. Um. But apparently that generation who was exposed as children to that flu, I've got my grand's diaries and I have, she's written about it, the number of people who were sick in 1957 with this flu. And it did seem that lots and lots of people and young people as well were getting really floored by this disease. But apparently the children of that generation have been much less susceptible to flu generally. And the theory was that, you know, their immunity that they developed during that flu outbreak have has remained with them for the rest of their lives and they've not been as susceptible to flu. Yep. Now, how can that... I don't know if that's right or wrong or it's nonsense. I, I'm perfectly prepared to accept that that's nonsense research. It certainly doesn't uh, marry very well with what we've observed with COVID, does it? <laughs> because, you know, apparently now in 2022 people can get the same virus multiple times when previously being exposed 50 years ago to something protected you the rest of your life i mean absolutely i mean i think even if even if they said that your immunity would only last for a year or two or something or five ten years you can maybe you can maybe get on board with that or the virus is so clever it camouflages itself mm-hmm. mutates, but- People have, people have had people have been they've tested positive and been sick three times in the last year and they've had a vaccine three times in the last year um, <laughs> I've been saying that these podcasts we're now viewing more as a historical record yeah and sometimes I feel like I kind of I'm listening to conversations that I have about this stuff and I almost to sort of take a step out of myself and I'm listening to this 30 years from now just thinking Mm. what absolute nonsense we believed I mean the idea that medicine has progressed you know you used to read about people being bled when they were sick you know when you get leeches on them and they would the doctor would prescribe bleeding a pint of blood when people were really ill and you think my goodness how could anybody possibly have ever thought that was a good idea well I actually think we're stupider now than people were back then I mean the the lack of critical thinking not even critical thinking just thinking is just absolutely astounding to me every single day it's every day I just I was talking to somebody um, at the weekend there. We're talking about masks again in church. And somebody uh, the, somebody had taken a mask, their mask off, and this was a cause for a celebration. And then the person I was speaking to was like, yes, but I mean, some people who are having radiotherapy and chemotherapy, they have to be very careful because if they catch COVID, then their treatment gets delayed. She's just like, what? I mean, I That's know that it happens, but 
how could you ethically or even logically justify at this point stopping a cat if you believe that that cancer treatment works right how could you possibly stop somebody having a treatment because they tested positive for this ubiquitous virus using your absolute bullshit tests I mean, and people are using this, they're saying things like this, and they're not saying to me in the same sentence, isn't that just vile and despicable? They're talking about it like it's a normal reality. That is how insane we have actually become as a society. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, you've got, you've got cancer and you need radiotherapy, but we're not going to give you it this week, even though we're telling you it'll save your life because you've been stupid enough to catch a virus because you didn't wear a mask to church on Sunday. I mean... <laughs> I mean that's even worse than them denying IVF treatment to the unvaccinated people. Oh yeah, I mean the yeah, unvaccinated they, woman. I I just can't believe that there are people who are so vulnerable with cancer and other conditions as well who are being denied treatment because they've tested positive for this ridiculous virus using this ridiculous test after everybody's been vaccinated on the understanding that it would take it back to normal. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there'll be there'll be thousands of really good people working in the NHS, and they'll they'll probably see see what we see, but they'll just transfer responsibility up the chain and think, well, we're just doing what we're told, like soldiers, yeah. but, and it's executives that are making the decision, mm -hmm. the boards. Mm -hmm. Emma Kenny, when she was on this podcast, said something which really. I don't know the imagery of it really stuck with me, but she said, it's me that has to take my last breath. And it's me that has to live with how I've conducted myself. And I just think, you know, you can say, well, it's NHS policy that will delay treatment. But if you're the person that has to look the patient in the eye and say, I believe in this treatment that I'm giving you, but I'm not going to give you it because you caught a virus. And maybe it was because you know, this might be in brackets and said silently, maybe it was because you didn't wear that mask to church on Sunday. I mean, I mean that, that that's uncivilised. It's not the NHS chief executive that's doing that to the patient. It's the person who is saying those words to the patient. And that person is going to have to live with themselves until their last breath. And the fact is that more and more people are coming to see this situation the way that I do. And eventually everybody will see it the way I do because this is the only logical position to take on it. Yeah, I mean, they must be under, they must feel the pressure for, for, for losing their jobs. Um, yeah. The, the whole group think coming in and not, not being the one to be seen to be a crazy person speaking out, but mm -hmm. God, you think by now more would, 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 have, would have done so. I was going to talk about the, the flu vaccine as well. <laughs> we we sent we got the the invitations came out yesterday. Uh -huh. Consent form rather came out yesterday, so they were sent back. My wife said that's the quickest you've ever filled in a form for the school. Yeah, I was like, yep. And what see, I my concern about all this COVID stuff was that um, not only was it bad enough in its own right. But it would lead to a lowering of standards generally, medical ethical standards. Yep. And the flu vaccine leaflet, I saw on your Telegram channel about it. I don't, I don't quite know what you're going to say, but it looks like that's happened with the flu vaccine. So what was on your 
your form? Well, the the consent form doesn't doesn't tell you anything at all. It's just basically just you you consent to your child getting the flu vaccine. Now, that, to be fair to the school, and I don't, I don't know if this is causing me, but last year we we got the forum and we didn't get the booklet at all. Uh-huh. And I I wrote to the school and said, you know, you can't just send a form out with no information. And yep. the head teacher directed me to the online booklet. And that's fine, you know, like, obviously I'm capable of finding that, but most people wouldn't. But this year they did send the booklet out, which is which is an improvement. But okay. the booklets, but the booklet still doesn't tell you the name of the vaccine. And then it obviously doesn't tell you the content of the vaccine. And it doesn't give a full list of side effects. It also mm-hmm. isn't clear that the nasal vaccine is live. Yep. So... And that wasn't that wasn't clear in the documents. And hey, hi, Christine. The flu vaccine is live. Yeah, so the flu vaccine is live. So the kids were supposed to get kept away from immunocompromised people mm-hmm. two weeks mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there was a chance that they can get it. And yeah. I don't, I don't think they're making that clear either. No. And you know, obviously, we pick our kids up from school, but there's lots of grandparents there picking their kids up. Yep. And I often wondered, I think there's a clear link between the, the flu vaccines and increased COVID cases. Offset oh. COVID. Yeah. Um, and this whole, the flu vaccine, the, the quadrivalent, the four strain flu vaccine was brand new in 2018, I think. And 2018 was just happened to be a terrible flu death year. Mm-hmm. And I was reading a report the other day that the the vaccine rollout for kids in Scotland got delayed in 2019. It was supposed to be September, but it didn't happen until November, December time. I don't remember that. But is there a link there then that given <laughs> given that vaccine out late somehow led to people testing positive for COVID in, in February, March the next year? I don't know, 2020. Well, I mean, I've seen that theory sported um, around a couple of places um, and I don't think it seems unreasonable because was it not the case? Um, I might just be making this up, but there were certain places that didn't have a lot of COVID in 2020, like early 2020. And apparently they were places where the quadrivalent vaccine had not been rolled out. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That would make sense so, as well. Like, for example, it'd be interesting to know what about Australia? Yeah. They, so they were in, they were going into winter when we were having our first wave of COVID. But had they had the quadrivalent vaccine, their previous winter, had that winter been too far back, you know, that vaccine had been too far back to cause the problem with COVID? I don't know. But there is an interesting question to ask, but actually, um, the flu vaccine is one of the things that I'm now very cross about because I've taken the flu vaccine for years because I've got asthma. And this is the first, I didn't actually take it on the advice of a respiratory consultant in 2020. Um, And I don't think I've ever been healthier than since I stopped taking the flu vaccine. And then I've done a bit of reading into the flu vaccine and it's all out there. You know, you don't have to even, the Cochrane Review, was it from 2018? Basically, this is an NHS recognised review. It basically says this vaccine is completely useless and it should be discontinued. Hmm. And one of the things that it said is it makes you really susceptible to other 
viruses. Now, if I'd known that, there is no way I would have taken those vaccines. And I would never have given them to my children because I used to give them to my children, which is something that I'm really actually quite ashamed of now. But, um, you know, I, I just can't believe how long I've been hoodwinked into taking this stupid vaccine that's probably made me more ill during the winter. I mean, worse for my asthma, because every time I get a cold, my asthma flares up and it can take months to settle back down again. Yeah, one of, one of my friends who plays football um, semi-professionally, he, he's asthma and he huh? he, he took the COVID, uh, no, COVID, he took the flu vaccine mm -hmm. five years ago and he was proper sick for a week afterwards and he's, he, he got it because he was like, I don't know at the time, he was maybe 28 or something, but he was saying that uh, he was eligible because he had asthma, but he, uh -huh. never, took it again. he never took it again afterwards because he was proper in his bed sick for a week after. Yeah. Well, basically, really, had, he basically had the flu. Right. The really crazy thing is I always got ill after taking my flu vaccine. Now, it would maybe just be a couple of days that I would feel a bit, you know, crap. But looking back now, it's like, so what? Why was I taking it then? What I think I suppose I would have said, but it's better than me getting flu. But then one year I caught flu anyway. I remember thinking, well, I've caught flu and it wasn't that bad and I recovered fine. And I thought, I've been so worried about catching flu all these years because I've got asthma, but actually it was fine. And then, but I remember thinking, well, maybe it would have been worse if I hadn't had my vaccine though. Yeah. You know, which is what we hear all the time now with COVID. I just think it's becoming quite clear that the flu vaccine is a whole other topic in itself. But I mean, it's all out there. This is not controversial stuff that I'm saying. The Cochrane yeah, I've, I've not seen it, but I'll go and have a look at it, Christine. But, I mean, I think if you remember back to 2020, we had the first wave of COVID and then it, it completely disappeared over the summer. Like, completely. Uh -huh. Like, we went two months with, you know, a couple of deaths. Um, attributed to COVID, and then we had the second wave, which came September October time, and that mm -hmm. would have coincided. That would have coincided with the rollout of the schools going back and the flu vaccine. Now I remember people at the time thinking, "Oh, this is a kids." Remember, people were, thought kids were spreading COVID, mm -hmm. and they were wanting the schools closed and all this carry on. And the older generation were saying, "Oh, it's kids that's causing it." Maybe it was. Maybe maybe it was kids that was causing it, but maybe it was caused by them getting the flu shot. I don't know. Uh -huh. there, there's definitely correlations there's definitely correlations in the waves but again I'm, I'm always looking for somebody to blame for it so maybe I'm just overthinking well I'm starting to become much more interested in the sort of spiritual question and like are people just getting really sick because this is a terrible way to live the way we've been living and you know yeah, denying, just, denying um, people human contact as well was a terrible yeah, thing. I mean, we don't we don't know. The only data that we have on stuff like that is from prisoners in solitary confinement. Now, solitary confinement in a prison is a poor comparison, you might say, with you know lockdown and people staying in their houses. But the fact is, we just don't know what the long-term health effects of that will have been. And I know myself how distressing I found it. You know, having yep. to stay by all the time, and you know, I'm I now think that 
you know, a spiritual sickness, an emotional sickness will manifest itself in physical symptoms. And I wonder if that's a lot of what we're seeing now as well. Um, well I think two things there. One, loneliness is one of the biggest killers in the aged as well. But, you know, the, the whole logic about if you, if you think you're going to get sick, you'll get sick. Yeah. Yeah. So if people if people are terrified. People have been terrified for two years. You know, it's easy to make funny people, but people have genuinely been terrified. Yeah. They've probably they've probably manifested a sickness in themselves by worrying about getting sick. Now, I'll tell a very quick story. We we went out for lunch yesterday, and I overheard a a, a, a group of women at a table next to us who were probably in their late fifties. Mm-hmm. And what one of the women was telling a story how she she caught COVID recently, and she thought it was after she'd went into Edinburgh to attend a fringe event but she was saying she'd wore a mask on the train she wore a mask at the event mm-hmm. and she's like but i'd had my vaccine but it hadn't been two weeks since i'd had my booster so it hadn't gave me time to, for my body to um for the booster to work you know she was she was making she was making excuses for the booster not having stopped her getting covid so she'd mm-hmm. obviously had she caught covid within two weeks of having her booster i don't i didn't i was eavesdropping i shouldn't have been i shouldn't have been but and i was just i was just you know i was just flabbergasted that that's the mentality of people she's she thinks she's caught it with somebody off a train but she's not even going to consider the fact that it might have been the vaccine that's caused it to test positive and get sick uh-huh. yeah but she's and she was and she was still she was saying she tested before she went because she she'd had a backlog of tests that she'd kept and she was wearing her mask so people uh-huh. are so these people are obviously terrified and they're still holding themselves to the rules that aren't they mandated mm-hmm. anymore but they're still doing them Mm-hmm. And then she gets, then she gets sick. Now I would imagine she's had, she's had that was probably her fourth vaccine at the time, and she's got sick again. People just won't look. No, no, they can't, they can't get their heads around it. I could, we could, I mean, I could give you so many examples of people who've like approached me because they know, you know, what I've been doing and stuff, and they, they it's like they don't understand that I'm saying this vaccine doesn't prevent infection because they'll come and they'll argue for the covid vaccine saying but we need to protect people from covid i'm like i'm not disagreeing with that but the way that you protect people from covid is not by giving them a vaccine that doesn't work like that's my point but it's like they hear the word vaccine and they literally cannot dissociate it from prevents infection and that's because that's what vaccines did for you know, decades and decades, that's what people have believed, a vaccine prevents infection. Then the flu vaccine came along and it kind of blurred the lines there a wee bit. And now with the COVID vaccines, they're saying openly now, oh, it doesn't prevent infection. Well, that's not a vaccine then, is it? You're yeah, it- fundamentally altering how people understand the word vaccine. And well, people, are, oh, people are quick to, to make an excuse like that for it. You oh, know, yeah. Say, oh, like, oh, you're an idiot, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop infection. Or it doesn't work a hundred percent. No vaccine is hundred percent. But it's like, is it zero percent, mate? Because it's I mean, the measles vaccine was a hundred percent. You know, because yeah. you got your child the measles vaccine and they wouldn't get measles. And the smallpox vaccine was supposed to be a hundred percent. And you know, the polio vaccine was presented to me as a hundred percent. You know, you're not your child is not going to get polio. Of course, my children. Let's face it, we're not going to get polio anyway, so I'm not quite sure why I thought I should be getting them a polio vaccine. But anyway, um, you know, this is they're now profoundly altering how people understand the word vaccine. And I think that in itself is extremely sinister. I'm just looking up the Cochrane Library here. I'm in front of my computer. 
Right, this is the Cochrane Library. Trusted evidence, informed decisions, better health. I can't find the the trial, the sort of review of all the co the flu vaccines that I had read before. But anyone can go on this website. I'm just looking vaccines pre for preventing influenza in people with asthma. Right, so that's me. And the abstract background: influenza vaccination is re recommended for asthmatic patients, as observational studies have shown that influenza infection can be associated with asthma exacerbations. However, influenza vaccination has the potential to cause wheezing and adversely affect pulmonary function. While an overview concluded that there was no clear benefit of influenza vaccination in patients with asthma, this conclusion was not based on a systematic search of the literature. So this is a library where they review the evidence for medical interventions. If I had been told that in 2013, 2013, that's now nine years ago, nine and a half years ago, this had been published and it says it has this vaccination has the potential to cause wheezing and adversely affect pulmonary function. I would not have taken that vaccine. If and, there's, known, and there's the informed consent point again. But, but why has my doctor not told me that? I have been to my doctor's surgery 10 times up here and I went three times in the place I lived before because I've had the vaccine 13 times and painted them up and nobody has ever explained that to me how how can that how can your doctor or your nurse or whoever injects you with that vaccine not tell you that that actually it has the potential to exacerbate because I would have said well I've had flu and it wasn't that bad and my asthma has been really good. I don't really want to do anything to exacerbate it, thanks. So I won't take it today. Yeah, they have to tell you both halves. Well, they don't. But the next time they invite me for a flu vaccine, I will be attending that appointment. And I will have a conversation with them about it because I just think this is so unethical. It's unbelievable. And then the fact that they're giving my daughters live flu vaccines, or they have given them, and then they've come home to me me, who's been taking the vaccine myself because I feel like I don't want to catch flu, and they've been a risk to me. They've been a I've been at risk of getting flu from them, and nobody ever told me that either. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's exactly the point I made earlier. They need to they need to tell you that for informed consent. And I think I've already told you a previous podcast, but when my when my Kids had the vaccine at school last year, the flu vaccine. They made they made her and another boy sit outside the classroom and they've, they've, they've done the flu vaccine in the class. Uh -huh. And the reason they done it in the class was because they could open the windows to, for, to let the air out. So there's 15 kids left in the class who all got the nasal spray and that, you know, for a 10, 15 minute spell. Because uh -huh. they couldn't do it in the medical room because there wasn't good enough ventilation in the medical room. And, oh because, of and because of COVID, they didn't want to have everybody in a in the medical room but even you know i know people who keep their kids off school on on flu vaccine day and I, I'm, i've not went that far but no but certainly i mean not, certainly not getting it but in the olden days see i would have thought that was crazy i would have thought that's absolutely crazy people saying that but they weren't crazy they were a hundred percent right because the vaccine is live <laughs> so and i mean for people who are more suspicious about the viral model than others. 
I mean, and I'm I'm definitely in that category. I'm just going to say it now. You know, I would be very suspicious about what when they're saying it's a live virus. Well, what does live virus mean? Because a virus, even according to virologists, doesn't live. It can only live in your cells. Yeah. So what does what does that mean? That's a live virus spray. I don't get it. I don't know. I would seriously question it must exist in cells in the spray. Yeah, is that, are, the, is that not are, the whole thing? They've got the the African green monkey kidney cells. Right, okay. So, so when my children are breathing out, or the, these vaccinated people are breathing out this, you know, monkey cell or whatever that's hosting this virus, and then those are into... I don't want that. I don't want... Yeah. Um, cells from another organism entering my airways from a vaccinated person. I don't know what that's going... I think probably that is going to be quite risky and I don't want it around me. But, you know, the only reason that I was pro-vaccine before was because I was pro-vaccine generally and pro-flu vaccine specifically, let's say, is because I had not been informed. I wasn't informed about these vaccines. And I would hazard a guess that... 99% 99% of the population remains uninformed about the flu vaccine, for example. I think that probably people would be surprised reading this page that I'm reading. It's strange because it's it's like the whole karma thing as well. See, when you find a, a document like that, that's, and I've seen something similar about one of the one of the cancer, NHS cancer treatment um, protocols telling you to avoid people who have just had the flu vaccine. But the data is there. So say if at some point you tried to take, drag them through a malfeasance trial or something, they could say, well, the, the data was always there. You never followed it. So, you know, we published it while they're not making it clear at the at your GP surgery. Yeah, they're not I don't, hiding I, I, I don't, I, they're not hiding it. I don't know if that protects them somehow from, or if it even makes it worse that that was there and, and your GP did, you know. But one thing about the GPs, if the GPs are getting £15 for a COVID vaccine, have they always been getting £10, £15 for flu vaccines as well? To go, into their practice, to go into the practice so that's maybe why they were they were encouraging and i always go back to the story about my mother-in-law she went to the boost she went to her booster and flu appointment she took the flu shot but she refused the booster because the booster was pfizer i think and she'd had astrazeneca um she didn't want to mix them and the nurse giving her the jag was 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 angry with her and she was telling her that she was putting people other people at risk by not taking the vaccine but that was just because they weren't getting their fee for for Jagana. Mm-hmm. And that and that the whole informed consent and the, the, your GP or, your, or whoever's doing it should let the decision be up to you. And they should not they should not try to influence you one way or the other. They should give you a balanced yeah, and protect patients from that, they shouldn't be getting financial recompense. Yeah. There shouldn't be a motivation for them. It should purely be about what's best for their patient. And, and I think it definitely does skew them if they're, if they're getting extra funding for it. It must do. Must do. One, one last thing before I go, Christine, I meant to mention it earlier when we were talking about spike backs. But did you see that the, that the new spike backs has got the two strains of COVID in it? And one of them is the Omicron BA1 variant. Uh-huh. And there is currently, from the latest government um, surveillance report, BA1 oh. makes up 0% of the COVID currently circulating in the UK. So they think they're being smart by giving you a vaccine that covers you for Omicron, but Omicron's gone now. 
but it'll be interesting if Omicron then comes back after this <laughs> rollout. They keep going on about how the, the virus mutates so quickly, and it's like, well, if it mutates so quickly, then that explains why the vaccines don't work. Again, let's take them at their words and assume that they're right with their viral theory and everything, but it's evolving too fast. Well, stop trying to make vaccines for it then, because by the time you've made the next vaccine, it's going to be completely useless against the latest variant. You'll just keep chasing it. I do think people are starting to twig. Yep. I think it'll be, very, it'll be interesting to see how many people show up for vaccinations generally, for all vaccinations over the next few years, because I think trust is waning. And that's probably one of the biggest measures of it. Like people taking their babies in to get injected with stuff that the NHS is recommending. Yeah, there's a whole whole new level of doubt. I think there is because if if we're thinking like this, we will not be alone. Like there's no way there aren't an awful lot of people coming to the same conclusions we are. And I'm not necessarily saying that I think this is a good thing. People, you know, um, but. And overall, but I just think the amount of questioning that's going on in people's minds has to be huge by this point. Yeah, and I do sense a certain amount of panic coming from the authorities now because they know that they're pushing people really hard. I think you also see uh, you see it in the numbers of the, the uptake of the booster. So I think in Scotland, there was four and a half million dose, dose one. Uh-huh. There, was only, there was only 3 million booster doses given, something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's over a million people who took the first dose. They were like, nah, I'm not having any more, mm-hmm. either the second or the third. And that and that, and that that trend will continue because people will now be like, nah, I've had enough of this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there'll be a lot of, um, there's a lot of unusual thinking happening in people's minds now new types of thinking and once people start to lose trust in institutions it's actually very difficult for the institutions to get it back yeah you know something something really big has to happen to bring people back around and i don't think that the nhs has it in it i think the next few years are going to be very interesting because our public health landscape and our healthcare provision is going to look very different i think well, one of my original theories in 2020 was that the NHS would eventually be privatised, and that they would use mm-hmm. they, they would use its its failings and being able to cope with the pandemic as a reason or a justification to privatise it, mm-hmm. and and that might still be the case that the um, that they might look to to take it private, and people might be more willing to accept that now because of the see the failings and you hear about the the ambulance times and the the 10 million yeah. waiting list, blah, blah, blah. People might be like, yeah, it's time to, time to take it private. I mean, the stories as, as a parent, the stories about the lengths of times that people are waiting for ambulances is truly terrifying. I say as a parent because your first thought is always, well, my first thought anyway, I always kind of end up imagining me in a situation where I need to get one of my children to hospital. You know, and you wait for the ambulance and it comes like five hours later. I mean, this scares the crap out of me. Yep. And that's the sort of thing that I'm not used to. I'm used to thinking, well, you know, if one of my children gets injured, the system will work. And 
they'll get help. But I'm not nearly so confident about that anymore. And that's frightening. And I've seen quite a lot of behaviour from healthcare professionals that really troubles me, like really troubles me. So now I feel when I go anywhere near an NHS hospital, you know, I'm immediately on a sort of battle footing because I feel like that's necessary to protect my family. I can't be alone in this. No, it's a total, it's a total loss of trust. Yeah, I mean, I don't trust them at all. I can't believe that they would actually inject my children with RNA if I'd taken them in, that they'd not tested and that could kill or cause my child's heart to get inflamed and not even bat an eyelid. Like that has been a real revelation to me. Uh, and then, you know, you go to the hospital with your child with myocarditis and they deny that it's anything to do with the mm-hmm. vaccine. I mean, it just yeah. it was probably, it must have been COVID that caused that. Oh go and get on with your day. I'll get on with yeah, mine. We'll do it. And no, once again, we didn't really talk about the thing that we... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sidetracked. But no, it was good to get a catch-up, Christine, and, uh, yeah. and keep doing what you're doing with the podcasts. Yeah, we've got another one today, actually, at two o'clock. All right, good luck with that. A doctor from Northern Ireland who's very lovely. So I think it'll be quite interesting to talk to him. Ideal. Mm-hmm. Have right. a lovely day, Russell. You, you too, Christine. I'll speak Bye. to you again. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening and you'll hear from us again soon.